0: You, are, you now are now listening, listening to, to the, the unmistakable sound of the World, of the
1: World Well, guys, let's let's get back into it by discussing basketball. It was a good day yesterday. Auburn basketball redeems itself after a rote loss to Arkansas earlier in the week. Came back and cruised a victory over A&M, beating them 75-58. Uh, Auburn moves to 23 and 2. They improved to 23 and 2, 10 and 1 in the SEC for the season. Uh, it's likely that Auburn's three week run as the number one team in the nation will likely come to an end after splitting uh, last week's two games, going 1 and 1. But I expect Auburn to be somewhere in the top five, maybe even top three. Who knows? We will definitely see once the rankings are released on Monday. But speaking of what's being released, you guys have voted. I was curious to see who you guys was going to go with, but it's obvious. Who's the player of the game, IG? Yay, big, sexy Walker Kessler.
0: I called it on facts and no, all. I tried to tell y'all this would be a triple-double night. I said it. I said he's going to do it during Texas A&M 100%. That's exactly why I say it word for word. And it came to pass 12 points on 5 for 17 shooting, 11 rebounds, 1 assist, 12 blocks in 24 minutes. That's insane. Right? So, insane. Somebody said, I think it was Justin Hokinson that said every minute of that game or every two minutes of that game or something like that, Walker Kessler was getting either a point, a block, or a rebound. Which is insane to think about. Great game by him. He's my guys, no disrespect to uh, Wendell Green or KD or even Jabari Smith. But Walker Kessler is definitely my favorite player on this team this year.
1: You keep you keep going back and forth. Uh are you selling on Walker Kessler? Because it was Wendell earlier in the year. Yeah. liked KD season started. Now now you're now you're on Walker. Oh yeah, now, is, like
0: is listen, it Walker I was, Kessler. Ike sold me on KD's style of play because I was I was kind of sour on KD. And then a couple. Oh, of these, let, let me correct something. So he in Kessler that was that's five or seven. Yeah, oh, it's five or oh, five or seven a typo. Yeah, okay, yeah. five of seventeen. Yeah, because that's not a good day shooting. Yeah. Um, especially for him because those are all, like, all at the rim. But I, I, I kind of brought me around on the type of player that KD is, and what he did the other night was kind of like why I was a little sour on KD. But uh, Wendell Green stepped in there. And just kind of showed me, I just didn't know what to expect from him. And Walker Kessler, like, God, you know, we, I mean, just uh, his game is has rounded out. He's shooting threes, he rebounds like a monster. He had a spin move in the post for a dunk yeah. that
2: was yeah. beautiful yesterday. It was nice. He had a couple of nice spin uh, post Woo. spins that were yesterday. So,
0: yeah, you know, I mean, I just love his game. He blocks, he goes straight up on um, most blocks, and and he's just a tower, and it, it's not even just the blocks. If you count the amount of shots he alters in the paint, mm-hmm. his effect on the game is crazy. So right. when you run into that paint, and you know you got to put up a circus shot because you've got the Empire State Building looming over you to block every shot, it's it's, it's nuts. He's, he's
1: definitely my favorite player on the team. I, I think we are very lucky to get a guy like him. He affects the game in so many different ways. And I think that's what makes him sure. such an amazing player. Um, Cam, you're asking who who knows the number one shot block. It is Kessler. Kessler was number two for a while. Uh, I think it was a forward or center for Western Kentucky. I, his name escapes me right now, who was number one for a while, but Kessler passed to maybe like a week or two ago. And I think he's all but extending uh his his uh his lead at this point. We did a fax or gnaw and, all, and I said that Kessler was going to be the number one leading shot blocker just by virtue of the fact that Auburn is doing so well as a team. Western Kentucky, I'm not sure if they're going to make it to the tournament because mm-hmm. um, they've lost a lot of games. So that's those are more opportunities for Kessler to just extend his lead in blocking shots. And with games like a 12-block game like yesterday, it's all but expected for him to end up being the leading shot blocker. So Jam- Jamarian Sharp. Sharp. Yeah. yeah and
0: he's Appreciate got
1: 111 that. blocks Kessler sitting on 116 right now yeah so he's Kessler's slowly starting to pull away from that guy so uh I expect it to be Kessler my question for you guys is this is Walker Kessler this year's Naismith defensive player of the year in your opinion Ooh. Yeah, take, t- take your time. Um, this would be a great facts in our question, but I want to I want yeah, to ask with the whole community: question. Is it easier to
2: block the ball than it is to just steal it? I think he is. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I, he if he impacts the game so much on the defensive end. I don't know how you say he's not. Like he's just. I mean, he, he's he's a good on-ball defender. Um, when he has to defend people in the post, mm-hmm. he defends fairly well. Off the ball, I mean, he defends fairly well. In shot space too. That. Yeah, his shot blocks take say, say say it for themselves. Shot altering. Um, yeah, because that's not something that goes his down in the staff well. books. Yeah, I, just, right, I don't. Right. I don't know how anyone impacts a game more on the defensive end in college basketball than Walker Kessler right now. Defensive rebounding, like he just. Yeah, I, I would have to say yes. Um, if he's not at least a finalist, somebody. Just uh, that—that that is that they must be what's the the idiot's name that keeps putting us like at number seven on his uh well, uh Wilner. It's either Wilner or, or Newell. Newell, yeah. Jesse, yeah. Newell. Jesse Newell. Jesse Newell. It's a bunch of Jesse Newells out there voting if he's not. Jesse's so. probably gonna have us
1: 15th after last week. Um so yeah, I I I will be I will be surprised. I I have him at at the very least a finalist. I think it'll be robbery if he's not a finalist. But yeah, uh, yeah. we can we can a question I thought to ask. So I was just curious to see kind of kind of where you thinking he may land because the the way the way he's affecting the game, like you see it, like guys do not come into the paint with any type of confidence when he's in the game, right? And so it's 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 amazing. I was just impressed. Why the most impressive block? To me, last week was against Arkansas, where that guy had a, what looked like to be a clear dunk. Um, oh yeah, and Walker came from the free throw line to block his shot. Yeah, like he, that's, tried that's just, he tried
0: to yeah. put him on poster. You try to put him mm. on poster.
1: So I, I'm I'm in, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with him. Like I said, I'd be surprised if he's not a finalist. But we'll, you know you but, know what bolsters his
0: resume is not only the the stat sheet, but you guys know if you're going for MVP of anything, it helps if your efforts are resulting in wins. For,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. If if the team you're playing for is up at the top, then you automatically because listen, nobody the the, the announcers at the games are effusive in Walker Kessler praise. Like yeah, they can't for sure. get enough of praising Walker Kessler. And if Auburn is a 10 win basketball team right now they might talk about him but it's like it's it's almost as th- as if they're trying to sell the narrative that he deserves a bunch of credit um uh, but again it's 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 not going to be this like he could be the guy at western kentucky right now and nobody knows who he is because he's on a team that's not playing for anything for real and they're not winning a bunch facts i had so, to google the guy right. at western kentucky may end up you know, maybe he'll get the most shot blocks in the in in the season, right? But do his shot blocks result in a team that will win over 25 games in the season easily? Right. No. Right. It's right. not going to happen. Is that team going to make a run for a national championship? Not going to happen. Right. So, Walker Kessler wins automatically over him. Now, who are some other on-ball defenders who are just, you know— Zip Jasper like in their ability to harass people as they come down the floor. There may be some of those out there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, it's hard to argue against him. And, uh, you know, uh, he has the only reason I'm not, too. Yeah. The, the only reason I'm not like, yes, absolutely, is because, you know, I, I'm going to be honest again. I don't watch a ton of basketball outside of Auburn basketball. So it's not like I see some other guy being this dominant defensive force that I watch Walker Kessler do now for what, 20, five games right um so it's difficult for me to to um to say anything like a definitive like oh there's nobody better it's like i don't really know i hadn't been watching but but that's the media bias that exists right when you watch a guy play on tv over and over and over and over again yeah he's gonna be the first name that comes up in your head for sure for sure Uh, so for sure yeah
1: i mean and again the the way they talk about him he has an his story is great Right. Yeah. He comes from a family of ball players at Georgia. He transferred out of North Carolina after not doing much to Auburn, a place where you wouldn't expect him to even have the type of year he's having. And it, it, he just has the storyline. Cause again, they talk about this all the time when they cover him during the Auburn game. So to Ike's point, you know, a lot about this guy and he's in your, he's in your mind when you start thinking of defensive players, because he's had the most exposure. Yeah. Uh, Lisa Wise want to get to yours real quick. Appreciate you. Glad we'll moving forward, but I would have preferred a press conference validating commitment to Harson. Just seems like the right way to do it. What are you guys' thoughts on yeah, this? Yeah,
0: one hundred percent. I think they should come I mean, out and made a statement. It was too big. I would. I would have liked it.
2: I would have liked it, but um, because the actual Auburn administration was never vocal to begin with, them handling it silently was just kind of par for the course. Had they come out and had some big to do. Other than a statement that they released, um, then I would have expected the same in the in in the reciprocal. But they put out a statement saying, "Hey, we're going to look into it." They put out a number statement saying, ah, "There's nothing to it," and I don't I don't really have a problem. To, I would have liked to see it again. Um, but I don't feel any way that they didn't do it because that's just kind of how they've been handling it from the beginning. It's just like, hey, we'll release a statement so you guys know we're taking it seriously. We're going to release another statement to say we're done looking at it. Right. Yeah. Because, because it beca- became a national story, that's why I would have preferred the the press
0: conference. And I think it would have helped him. You know, you talk about the negative effects on recruiting. I mean, I thought I think it would have helped him if they had come out and did something that people cannot ignore and can't miss to make sure that the messaging, so he can point back to that and be like, hey, listen, that was never really a thing. Ryan Harson getting fired from Auburn was never really a thing. It was, uh, you know, uh, a machination of people who have too much time on their hands and like spreading rumors. I'm going to be here. I'm the coach.
1: (laughs) I think it would have helped to a degree. But then again, I think a lot of people... Who want to believe that Harson was this close to being gone would have filed that away up under the vote of confidence by the administration, and he's likely to be gone soon. Like I just think you want to you, you're going to believe what you want to believe at yeah. this point. And so I, while I think it would help some, I don't think it completely removes whatever people were already thinking and feeling to begin with. Uh, Walt Taylor says it'll be cool to know what Walker says to the refs. He's always asking questions and getting clarification. Yeah, he is very you know most defensive players have a sort of edge to them to where when they get those calls they're like almost have to be reeled back in um by going at the rest but he is very polite uh with the rest because I personally think some of those calls I think he's getting the he's getting almost a shack treatment to a degree because of how intimidating he is down low that he's getting some calls he perhaps shouldn't I was not a fan of one call in the game where I think the player from AM traveled Mm-hmm. charged KD mm-hmm. and then ran into Walker Kessler and then Walker Kessler gets called for the foul. Like yeah, I'm that, like that,
2: that, that entire sequence was, it was a mess. Yeah, <laughs> right. it, was, it was a complete mess. He, he, he 100% traveled. He 100% pushed off on KD. And then he went like that's. I was having this conversation with someone in our comment section about Walker Kessler. They were upset Um, that Walker Kessler didn't foul out earlier in the Arkansas game because they they said he he was mauling people out there the entire game and he deserved a bunch more fouls than what he got. And I was like, okay, let's say you're right. You're wrong, but let's say you're right. Then are you going to then say the refs were incorrect in giving Walker Kessler fouls in situations where the offensive player initiated the contact, right? So if Walker Kessler jumped straight up and down, the offensive player either jumps into him or, to avoid getting his shot block, pushes off with his off arm to create the contact, and Walter Kessler gets the foul call, that's wrong. It's either a no call or it's an offensive foul. That's how that works. If I jump mm-hmm. straight up because I'm here, I have the right to this space, you can't jump into me and then try to bounce off to get the contact, and you can't push off with your off arm. Those are all offensive fouls, or they are no calls play on. Right? right. It's not a defensive foul in that scenario at all. So, like, you can't just acknowledge, and this is the thing I I, I always hate when people say the refs lost us this game. The refs do a pretty crappy job all the way around. And it can definitely be imbalanced in a lot of situations. But usually you can see enough calls going the opposite direction that should have gone in your direction or mm-hmm. calls that went in your direction that should have gone the other way to say, okay, let's wash the refs out. It was bad both ways. Let's talk about what actually happened during the game, right? Yeah. So the refs don't necessarily win and lose games unless you don't call a double dribble in a pivotal point um, in the uh, Final Four. Don't want to go into that too much. Uh, but my point to say all of that is Walker Kessler gets a lot of foul calls in scenarios where he did not foul anyone. Yeah. And it is ridiculous. He would have at least 10 to 15 more blocks this season if they weren't called fouls when he actually got a. With the ball clean. Not only not fouled
0: anybody, but didn't even touch anybody. Yeah. Right? Like, there were yeah. a lot of calls where people drive in on him, and he alters the shot. He doesn't get into their body, like, none of it. And then there's a foul right. called, right. And it's very frustrating to watch, because it just seems like, at the end of the game, you know, even versus Texas a and I think he ended with four personal fouls. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was about to foul out of that game. right? And in the tournament, when it's tight, if they call it like that, it's just going to be very, very. It's gonna, it's gonna suck, man. To be yeah. worried about
1: whether your most impactful player is going to f- foul out of the game. What's frustrating to me with it is that it seems like to, I, to to Ike's point, they get it right with KD. Now KD drives to the basket trying to initiate contact, and they, for the most part, they just let it play on. They don't right. call an offensive foul, but then you go back down to the other end of the court. You call it on Walker Kessler. I'm like, yeah. okay, guys, if you're going, if if they're going to get the call, KD should get that call, or mm-hmm. they shouldn't get the call either,
2: right? Because right? it's the exact same thing. So it's, the, it's literally the exact same thing. The only difference, I think, in KD's case is that because he's going 800 miles per hour, it looks like a worse collision, but it's right. the same exact play. It's an offensive player throwing their body into a defensive player to generate contact. And hopes to get a file call and it works against Walker Kessler and it does not work for KD. A lot of the time, a lot of times KD doesn't get that call. The times he does get the call. Usually they did file him Right. But he initiated, like he went in there seeking that contact. Right. right. He's like, all right, cool. Well, if you go, if you come in anyway, then I might as well brace for impact and you're going to, you're going to catch a little bit of this too. So um, right. it is what it is, but it's, it's definitely, he is, he's difficult to officiate. Um, it seems because he's so disruptive and it's almost like, man, like, can I get a shot off without this dude blocking it? The answer is probably no, but that's not that doesn't mean you have to call a foul on him in right, situations. Right. Where it's, it's not like he's, like, he's doing
1: something illegal. Has, yeah. has the officiating been particularly terrible
0: this year? No, I'm not talking about just on on Auburn. I'm talking about. No, it's not the particularly care- terrible. It's just it's bad, right? It's been awful for
2: a long time. And Every- B's been champ.
1: B's been championing that for a minute.
0: Yeah, I mean they need to send them to a retreat or a workshop
2: or something. But, so be so listen, so when I was at Auburn <laughs> um, out, bro.
1: a zebra a zebra retreat.
2: Part of what I did was for intramural basketball. I co- I coached the girls' intramural basketball team when I was at Auburn. I also refed games. Reffing basketball games is hard, bro. Like it's hard. It's really yeah. easy to do it from your like couch, watching it on TV, but like when you're there live in the game. There's so much stuff you have to pay attention to and it really sure. is about the communication of a team of refs understanding where I am on the court and what I'm supposed to be watching like they don't call three seconds almost at all anymore in college basketball like you could camp out in the paint uh, offensively and then not get called I, need, I I meant to look up the other day do they even still have this as a rule that you can't because I just I've seen people just camp out in there anyway um but like it's really hard because yeah. there's so much you have to pay attention to and sometimes like you hear those late whistles where it's like yo like the the play is almost over with and then you finally it's 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 a reaction thing it's like oh shoot wait I should have blown my whistle and in your mind you're thinking that's a foul but like you can't just in your head say oh that's a foul you got to blow the whistle you got to make it's 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 a lot so it definitely is one of those things that officials it's like anything else you really need to practice and you really need to like get reps in like, okay, somebody's going to actively go do this thing. Make the call. Is it a foul or is it a block? It's a charge or a block, right? Quick, 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 do it. Right. And it doesn't need to be game time when you're practicing that stuff. So like during the off season, code, those refs definitely need to figure out a way to train better, to prepare themselves and not just looking at instances on tape, but let's go physically map, map this out. Just like you would for a football team. Like, okay, great. You saw it on tape. Now go run the route. What does it look like? What does the ball look like when it's coming off the quarterback's hand when you're running this five-yard out route so you can like it? It's got to be more than tape that allows you to prepare for this. It's your boy Ike Jones, and you're listening to The War Report's Weekend Tailgate Podcast. Did you know that you can find this and most of our other podcast content on YouTube first? That's right. Just search The War Report on YouTube, and you'll find our channel where we broadcast this and other shows live. We've also got Auburn football and basketball press conferences, film reviews, game highlights, interviews, and special guest segments too. All of the Auburn sports content you can ask for, and then some. Now that you know, let's get back to the show. Yeah, you know what's
0: interesting? One, uh, a lot of people watching probably don't know what I do for a living outside of the war report. But um, we—I work for an audiovisual solutions company, and we handle technology for businesses that come into meetings. Uh, into hotels to put on conferences or meetings. Uh, one year when I was living in Phoenix, this was God, 2008, I think, uh, the All Star game was in Phoenix. And uh, my best friend came out just to be there. I saw a bunch of like former Auburn players there in Phoenix and Scottsdale for, you know, All Star festivities. The NBA was hosting a meeting with us. And we set up all these mon- It was every NBA general manager. The, uh, the Players uh, Association rep at the time was Derek Fisher. And then it was the head of officiating and two of his cronies. And they were voting on rules to basketball. This is hands down the coolest meeting I've ever sat in. So they had, they, uh, to Ike's point, they pulled up a bunch of plays on Shaq. And they were talking about how he gets fouled a lot and it's just not called because he's so strong. And they would go play after play and they're like, on any other player, that's a foul. But he's not getting the call just because it's so hard to move him. He doesn't look bothered by a lot of the contact that he takes, but it's still a foul. And what Ike is talking about, there's so much in...
2: Basketball, in terms of officiating, that's it's subjective, right? Like you know, based on what you're seeing, officiating is 100. It's like a judgment call: Mm -hmm. was that a violation or not? Yes, it is. Right. Well, it is a violation, but who's at fault here? Like, and you have to make that decision so fast. In football, there's less of it,
0: but you know, pass pass interference is probably the most subjective call in football. And now, targeting right yes, it is yes hard because you sure. have to you know there's so there's nuance to that call and it's hard to get right, which is why they made pass interference reviewable because right. in the moment things are happening so fast. so it was just interesting to see that they had to have a whole meeting where they got every general manager in the NBA there to talk about hey how do we want these games to be officiated? Right, what is actually a foul? They were also talking about hand checking. Hand checking was like a real big thing at the time, and mm-hmm. um, you know some players were were they they were getting they were slick about how they hand check. What is a hand check, and what is not a hand check? So a lot of time gets spent just trying to just get everybody on the same page about what the call is, and but all the referees in the NBA weren't at that meeting. Only the head guy was. So he's got to come away from that meeting with a clear understanding of what a foul is on Shaq. And then every other NBA ref that's going to ref his games has to understand that. And it's difficult. So, you know, they need to put, I just feel like they need to put some more resources into training for refs. We've got the technology. We were still using DVD players back then, guys. And so they had this really cool DVD player with this, like, it had. there were barcodes on the sheet. Right they had a bunch of uh, uh plays on this dVD, and when you scan the barcode, it would go to that exact play on the dVD and I thought that was cool at the time um now that's now that's that's not it's not groundbreaking technology now, but um I was thinking to myself they they did i mean it was very organized and they realized that it was a problem. you know he is one of our premier players. And he's not getting a fair shake in terms of officiating and we have to fix it or it it, it waters down our product, right? So they need to put some resources into this, man. You cannot have guys like Walker Kessler in conference. If you're the SEC, right, you've got the best defender in the country in your conference. And he's not getting a fair shake because officials are unclear that he's not fouling people. And then they're calling it a foul. That's a problem. Some players warrant more attention. And Shaq changed the way that, you know, big men got officiated. For sure. Because there was nothing like him before that. I can't remember. I mean, name me a center in the SEC that has been as dominant as Walker Kessler has this season over the last 10 years.
2: Name me uh, one. Last 10 year. I don't know. I have to think about that. Ooh, hard. Chat, jump in on this. <laughs> Didn't LSU?
1: LSU had a guy. Name that me went one. to the NBA. I can't even think of his name, though. Has been this dominant. Not a center. Ben Simmons was. Triple doubles guy? with Just blocks. blocks. Yeah. It was even before Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Someone mentioned it in, the, I think it was Chris Ray. He asked about uh, Flanagan.
2: Um, yeah definitely how you feel how you alan feel flanagan.
1: how you feel about Flanny, man go ahead i what's your what's your thoughts on flanagan um
2: he was he was good yesterday um wasn't great you know he still showed what i liked about what alan flanagan did yesterday was when the ball was swung to him he wasn't hesitant to just go ahead and shoot it right whether he was making it or not he made i don't know how many three-pointers he made yesterday but um just one so, But he took them without hesitation, and that's really what he needs to do. A lot of times he would catch the ball, and he'd do a bunch of this, and then he'd like, you know, it's like, just listen, just swing, catch, and shoot, right? Um, or catch it and make your move immediately. It's not like, But it seems like he's halted between those two spaces of do I drive or do I, you know, kick it or, you know, ro- rotate, whatever, Um, he just seemed like he had a little bit more confidence in, in how he was moving. Um, and so I appreciated what Alan Flanagan brought to that game yesterday because uh, you know, early in the game, you know, he scored the first four points for Auburn, but earlier in that game, nobody was playing particularly well offensively for either team. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, and and Alan Flanagan was one of the few people who looked competent out there offensively. And I was like, well, look at this. This man woke up a little bit, right? So If he can provide—it doesn't even have to be 16 points, which is, I think, what he scored this game. It doesn't have to be 16 points again. um, But if he can provide that level of uh, confidence in his offensive game, it becomes a problem. It becomes a problem for other teams to defend because a confident Alan Flanagan, even if he's not making buckets, puts pressure on defenses to have to guard him differently. Sure. So I sure. liked what he was doing yesterday from just a confidence standpoint. So hopefully he will continue to grow in that confidence and that will start to pay dividends towards what his point total is going to be or his his um the touches that he gets being more fruitful. So looking forward to it.
0: I will say uh, he led all scores. He did. He led all scores yesterday. I uh, was not expecting that uh, because of the Jazzy Challenge. Um, really wanted it to be Walker, thought it was going to be him for a second. It was not. Uh, But he did, it was a quiet, it was kind of a quiet performance from Flanagan, right? It felt like he just kind of sneakily had a much better game than he has been having. And uh, Achilles injuries are really tough injuries to come back from. You know, uh, Kobe Bryant had this injury. You can say what you want, but I'll tell you, I don't feel like Kobe was ever the same after he came back from that Achilles injury.
2: He was. Yeah, I mean, he was at his mid thirties too when he had it. That's like yeah, but
0: but you but you know you understand what I'm saying. Like it was yeah. it. It's a tough injury to come back from, right? Uh, I thought there was a notable, noticeable decline in his game after he came back, and he's just, he was he's one of those players that's just that good. So it still looks pretty good, even though he's he's still better than most, even after coming back from an injury like that. But Flanagan has age, to Ike's point, right? He's still young and he has time. But it just, there's that combined with the fact that he missed time at at the beginning of the season. So just trying to get back into the flow. And this team established, you know, a flow without him. I think it's been difficult for him to just kind of fit within the flow of what they were doing that was working before him, and now he's he's back in there and he's playing significant minutes, and I know he's putting in the work. He's definitely putting in the work. I can see it. I just hope it comes together by SEC tournament time. Right? Yeah. Because if he's going to play like that and those other guys are going to step their game up, we're going to be really difficult to beat. We were hard to sure. beat before he came back. But if, if, if old Flanny is going to play like the All-SEC performer, good luck playing Auburn. And our boy Maine Easy owns Alan Flanagan an apology. Him and I joke about Flanagan, <laughs> about his playoffs. Like God, Flan- I, I keep saying, he's close. He's close. Like he's gonna come back. He's close. He's close. Right. Uh, and even in our Slack, we're like, I don't know what's Flanagan doing out there with the ball. Uh, but uh, I think I think he's I think he took a huge step forward yesterday in terms of his
1: progression. So it was it, it was exciting to see. I mean, the, the bench outside, I know Wendell had a very quiet game. Um, he didn't shoot a lot, but I was very impressed with the bench production, um, despite, because he's usually accounted for much of what we do coming off the bench. So for him to have, so our bench to do what they
2: did, I was impressed by that. Perfect. I liked the game Wendell Green played yesterday, though. Yeah, He seemed like he was in pass first point guard mode. He had what six assists? Five assists? Which one? I don't. I'm not looking at the stats sheet right now. Five assists yesterday.
1: Um, he was efficient.
2: I'm not saying right. he wasn't, but yeah, super efficient. A lot of his shots didn't come from three feet behind the three point line, right? Like he was taking mid medium range shots. He was getting you know downhill, yeah. and he was looking to pass first, which made him even that more dangerous once he gets into the lane because now, you know. If he's going to be passed first when he gets into the lane, teams are going to start sinking back off of him, and that's going to make that mid-range stuff uh, pop up even more for him. I like the game that he played yesterday. It was good having Zepp Jasper back because he was able to give Wendell an opportunity to take a little bit uh, off of the gas and not feel like he has to press and he's not playing as many minutes. You know, Zepp didn't do a ton offensively yesterday, but he was efficient as well now outside we, we didn't have a point yesterday and a, a lot of this is due to Texas A&M being absolutely awful abysmal <laughs> shooting the ball yesterday like it was yeah. bad they were missing shots in the lane they were like they could not buy a bucket and some of them were good looks like they it's not like we were just forcing them into bad looks often texas okay. a&m was terrible yesterday um but uh, i said that to say this is the closest i've seen to a consistent from top to bottom Auburn game where from the very first whistle or from the very first jump ball to the last whistle, it seemed as if you got the same energy and same um, impact on the game on both ends of the floor that you were getting the entire time. The offense still needs some work, right? Like we, you know, Texas A&M is not some great defensive squad and we had like 10 points in the first seven minutes of that game. Like it was terrible. Um, But I do think that we are going, we're getting into a place. I saw a commitment early to try to get Jabari the ball, right? Like they um we're we're gonna try to work him out on the high post and figure out how to get him and in, in the action a little bit earlier um yesterday. So that was good. Um there's a lot of things, man. It, again, it's it shows that this coaching staff is not resting on their laurels. They are coming back and figuring new ways to be able to implement what they want to do offensively. They're running a lot of the same action, but they're running slight twists to it, and I love it. Uh, but yeah, to the point of Alan Flanagan. Love what he's doing. Love what I saw out of Wendell Green yesterday.
1: This is a great point by Ben Bloodworth. We didn't have that slump out of the half either. Um, that's something that that's we've correct. kind of seen too. So um, that also, that also was a biggie. Um, and shout out to Cambridge for just being a highlight, a,
2: a walking yeah. highlight reel. Real. So yo, he was catching that jump. Every like he was, it was like the the one he caught off the rim, it was a foul call, right? So it didn't count, Mm -hmm. but that might have been the nastiest dunk out of all of them. Oh my god, the one where he took off from the SEC. Like, if you go back and watch where he jumped from on the one on the fast break, there's Mm -hmm. like an SEC logo just outside of the restricted area where he jumped from, it's between the free throw line and like he jumped from a good ways back. It was, it was a tough dunk. because he he fell
0: after he dunked it.
2: Yeah, and right. that's
0: how far away he dunked it from with as much momentum as he had going forward, that there was no way he was gonna land on his feet. Yeah. That dunk was incredible. When he took off, I was like, he is not about to jump from there. And just completely
2: yoked yoked it on him. His yoke game was on
0: point yesterday.
2: Yeah. I was, he he, yeah, he yeah, threw just, down quite a few. That the oop that he caught from uh that Wendell threw from I don't know how far back it perfect was. Pass. Yeah, a perfect yeah, pass. Yeah. Yeah. It was a beautiful drawn up play.
0: That was yes. beautiful. It play. was about four feet outside the three point line on the opposite side. and He threw it yeah. to the, to the far side of the rim and it was just right there for him to catch and then dunk. Uh, th- those guys, that takes the chemistry. Yeah. Well, and for sure. And precision. So those guys are, they they're playing at a pretty high level as a team right now. When they get it going, I just, man, I, I know we'll probably not be number one tomorrow, but I still think they made a case for why they should stay number one in spite of that overtime loss without our starting point guard. Yeah, You know, think about think about Zep Jasper coming back again. He did not affect the game from a scoring standpoint, but, man, defensively,
1: we are a different-looking team when he plays. And I mean again, and you your 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 Wendells, like those he he has fresher legs late in the game. So if you need offensive production from him, you can get it because he's not gasping because he's been out there a long time. So he right. he 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 provides so much value in terms of what he does, even if he doesn't score a lot. For sure. Let's get to the preview. Let's look let's look to this week. Let's talk about Vandy. Mm. That's our next opponent. Mm-hmm. And we will be playing Vanderbilt. Auburn is, has a 91% chance of winning, according to ESPN's Basketball Power Index. Something about Vanderbilt, they're led by Scotty Pippen Jr. He's been there a while now. He's averaging 18.9 points per game, almost four assists. Vandy ranks fifth in the SEC, tied for 28th nationally in free throw attempts. Why is that significant? Because the teams ranked ahead of us haven't had at least one game against Auburn where they've kept it close. That's Alabama, Florida, Arkansas, and Georgia. So Vanderbilt has done a pretty good job of getting to the line to help keep things close. And so that's something to keep uh, light of going into this game. They're ranked sixth in the SEC and turnovers forced with 15 Per game, Auburn actually leads the conference in turnovers with eleven point seven turnovers per game. I did not know that until I researched that today.
2: Uh, Auburn. Somebody just said in the comments, this is the wrong date on here. We play on the sixteenth, not the fifteenth. Wednesday, the fifteenth. So sorry. Thanks for that correction. So it's Wednesday the
1: sixteenth. So they also they ranked. Vandy ranks ninth in the SEC in turnovers with 13.2 per game. So Auburn actually forces 15 turnovers per game. Auburn actually does a pretty decent job with that as well. So that's a little to know about Vandy. Our thoughts about Vandy going into this game, they've actually have gotten a lot healthier as the season has gone on. Um, they've actually been playing teams a lot better over the past few games. They actually kept it pretty close with Tennessee – both times they played, actually. Mm. Um, they were in, in it late. I think Tennessee went on a run and ended up pulling away from them um, on yesterday. Uh, on the road, too, 64-73. So I'm not expecting... I'm not... I would be surprised, pleasantly surprised, if Auburn uh, blows Vandy out, out of the off the court. But what are our thoughts about this game going into the next matchup?
0: Gotta avoid the slump, man. Uh I asked coach Pearl in the um post game about offensive efficiency in the first half. So while we did win by a bunch, that was mostly because we held them to like under 30% from the field,
2: under 20%. They were under, terrible.
0: Yeah, I think where did where did we end? I, don't, I forgot what the, the final stats uh scores were. Oh, yeah, I don't hit. know where they ended the game yeah, The first like half they were under 20. Yeah, it was terrible. I mean, they couldn't buy a shot, but neither could we for a long time. A long twenty-seven percent,
2: twenty-seven percent for the game. So,
0: yeah, so we did not. We weren't playing great. Like that wasn't a great offensive performance for Auburn in terms of you know field goal percentage. This is the third out of the last four games that we've been held under forty percent from the field. So there's definitely something to look at there. And I'll be looking to see if they can kind of correct that, you know, trajectory because at the beginning of the season, we were somewhere between 45 and 50 percent from the field. And then we've had a stretch where we've been well under 40. And, and the shot selections have maybe not been great. Uh I like when Wendell Green hits shots from Opelika, but man. Like sometimes I feel like those shots. There's some better shots that he could take there uh, when he's feeling himself. Uh, Bruce Pearl says he's got to take a look at it. So he's aware. He's aware that we, you know, against a better team, we might have gone down quite a bit in that first half. You know, if a team had got hot, and it, I don't, I'm not sure so, so much that that we were. They were just missing shots. Texas, yeah. a, they were missing open shots. They did not shoot well at all. Now, I know our defense is is really good, but from the perimeter, they had shots that if they had knocked down, that game could have been a lot more competitive or it would have looked a lot more competitive. So, you know, for me, it's just take a look at what we're doing, shot selection and how we're, what we're running, because that first half didn't look great to me offensively. War Report family, you are listening to the Weekend Tailgate Podcast. You're in the right place for great discussion of Auburn sports news, but there's so much more available to our YouTube channel patrons. Patron level supporters get first dibs on select content, special chat privileges when we have special segments and big time guests, and only patrons get access to our off-season football film reviews that kick off after A-Day. We're talking next-level film breakdowns to so look at what we did in 2021 and even give us a glimpse of what to expect in 2022. And did I mention the patron giveaways? So head on over to our YouTube page and look for the Join button. Become a patron-level member and get
2: your weight up. All right, now let's get back to it. All right, your thoughts, man? Um, as far as Vandy is concerned, uh, it is one of those games that could be trap-ish. If it were a mm-hmm. I'd be more worried about it. Um, it being at home not super worried about whether or not we'll be able to handle business in this one. Um, you know, uh, much ado about Scottie Pippen jr. I think it's going to be difficult for one guy to dismantle this team though. Right. Like he's going to have to, the reason why teams like Alabama and even, you know, so we'll, we'll credit, you know, the teams that actually beat us. Um, right. So like UConn and then now Arkansas, you, you have to make the shots, right? Like, you have to be a shot-making team. The reason why Bama is never out of striking distance with a team is because they have shot-makers. They've got guys who they can, You can, they get two or three guys, you can just put the ball in their hand, they can go get a bucket, and they can get hot from three as a team and close the gap really quickly, right? If you're not making shots, Auburn is almost impossible to beat. You're not going to just be able to, like, out-hustle us or, you know, defensively, you know, even if we're turning the ball over a lot, um, you've got to keep that up for a long stretch of time in a ball game to win. Because eventually we're going to adjust and we're going to punch back. And when we do, we tend to punch a little harder than everybody else. Um, I don't know that Fandy's got that kind of firepower. And I don't know that they have that kind of defense. Right. So it's going to be a problem. If they're not out there just making shots, a la Ole Miss, you know, when we played them South Carolina earlier, if they're not making shots, it's going to get ugly. That's just the the way it is. And if it's really just one dude, that dude's going to have to have a monstrous game. So, yeah, I don't see it happening. Got a question here from Antonio
1: Smith. Question, is Bruce holding Jabari Smith back for the SEC and NCAA tournament, or is that just how he plays? you guys
0: thoughts i think that's just how he plays he's his 10-man rotation thing is what he's doing and i just i just think that's just how he plays yeah
2: i i I, I, I agree i I think that's i think it's a thing i don't think he's holding him back necessarily um i do think that jabari smith is not like a high usage guy right like he's not going to just be a guy giving the ball and get out of the way very often uh, as talented as he is, it's, that's just not his game. Um, so, Is that because he's not like a great ball handler? I think that part of it is ball handling. I think right. part of it is just um, now I, I've been talking about this for a while. He passed better out of the double team yesterday. He passed better out of the high post when he got the ball, looking to get the ball to somebody else. Uh, he He did that a lot more quickly and more decisively. Um, but yeah, I think a portion of it is his ball handling skills. If he were a better ball handler, he probably would just try to go to that bag a little bit more. But um you don't have to be a great ball handler to be a great one-on-one offensive player. Um, sure. when talking with Jay Billis on the little special thing that they did where they were riding on the little things, mm-hmm. you never, know, whatever, he was talking about how Bruce Pearl didn't really like the the over-the-left shoulder turnaround, you know, situation that Jabari would go to until he saw he's making it more often. Um, I think that he knows that's his shot. But like, think about think back over the last three games where he hasn't had a ton of points. How often have you seen him shoot that shot? Not right. like he he does the one foot fadeaway situation with you know that Dirk popularized. He's done that a few times, but he hasn't. If this is your shot, figure out a way to get to it. And that's right. where I think he's got he, that the the evolution. Listen, everybody knew. Jordan was going to the fadeaway. They knew it. It doesn't matter if you know you're going to do it. I know how to get to it. I know how to set it up properly. If that's your shot, figure out how to get to that shot more often and get into a place where you're comfortable. If you're a catch the ball face up, if he's playing off of me, I'm just going to rise up and shoot it. If he's playing me tight, I'm going to swing through one step, get him off balance, shoot it. Go to that over and over and over again. I just don't think that. I think he he thinks to himself, Oh, I got to do something different. They know what I'm about to do. Make them prove to, make them prove they can stop what you know, you're going to be able to do before you have to go to something else. And I just don't think he does that enough. Um, so I think it's just a mixed bag of because he knows he doesn't have to be that guy. He's right. not out there looking to be that guy. And right. because the offense isn't running through him in that way, there's no need to do it. Plus, That was a whole conversation, I think, with Jabari and his dad, with Bruce Pearl, to come to Auburn. It's like, look, I'm not going to wear you down before you get to the NBA. We're going to play you sparing minutes. We're not going to, you know, make you this focal point guy. If you want to go be that guy, go play somewhere else, right? You've got the talent to do that. That's not how we're going to play you here. And I think that they've made a commitment to save him in that respect um, and just let him figure it out on the next level how to be a more selfish basketball player.
0: Right. You know what's great about that tactic too is is that we are not asking an 18-year-old to be the savior of your team. Yeah. Right. He's a talented guy, but listen, he can have an off night and his teammates have his back. Right. Because we are not regularly putting pressure on him to carry the load offensively. We don't need him to go out there and put up fifteen to twenty every night. He can score a quiet ten, right, play good defense and you know affect the game you know, down the stretch if we need him, I mean, look at, look at the Arkansas game. You know, he's got that ability where he can take over and just, just, you know, be a basketball player and hit shots. But I like that. We're not regularly
1: asking him to do that. Sure. Sure. And and then again, it's, it's, it's going to help him transition better to the next level as well, because I already know how to play with guys. Like, I already know how to play a role on the team. And the beauty of it, to your point, Mike G, is that we can just pick and roll teams at death with Wendell and, and Walker Kessler. Like, we have multiple ways of attacking teams to where we it doesn't have to be Jabari or Bust. So Jabari oftentimes finds himself in the offense because teams are so busy worrying about other things, even though you know Jabari's there, we can attack you in so many different ways so Jabari can have a quiet fifteen. have a quiet 16 points because Wendell is going off or KD is driving to the basket you know so I, I like the fact that that we have again different many ways of attacking teams and to Ike's point earlier it's like the coaching staff is tinkering with ways to get guys involved and giving people something to think about down the road as we get into the tournament so uh, I, I, I like I like what we're doing, but I don't think he's holding them back. I, I think a lot of ways Jabari is just learning how to play when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Yeah. So, And I think that's what's going to help him to the next level as well.